Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault in the news cycle, the people that make it and occasionally ourselves. Um, I am Camille Foster. I do so many things at a place called Freethink. I'm actually a doer of things yes. at Freethink. That's that's sure. my new title. I've decided. That's a pretty um, lame title. Oh, thank doer you. Doer of things? Thank you. Thank you. This is episode 94, recorded you on the evening. You an exciting edition of the fifth column. It hasn't even happened yet. Now, now uh, I'm a little I'm less leaving. excited because you're interrupting me. Let's get out of here. But this is episode 94, <laughs> um, recorded on the evening of March 15th, 2018. Matt Welch, editor-at-large Reason Magazine, is dead. He's, he's absent. I think he's dead. He's not dead. He is alive. <laughs> And we we miss him. But Michael Moynihan, national correspondent for HBO's Vice News Tonight, is in the building. Uh, Shouts out to the homie Anthony Fisher, who is our uh, senior producer, director. Um, He contributes to this program in various ways. He's also a contributor to numerous respectable national media publications of note. Um, and at least what is it, what one. Is it, what's that called? A Taki mag? Yeah, is that exactly. Is? I was going to say there's <laughs> that's, one. That's the most respectable. There's one on tawdry the, scandal rag that Z-Dare? he writes for that <laughs> we never talk about. But we also have a, a ringer with us, Jody Avergan, host of the 538 Politics podcast, as well as ESPN's 30 for 30 podcast. He is a podcasting legend, and I am very, very pleased to have him join us today. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for being I'm here, good. Jody. I'm going to clap myself. That's what, uh, <laughs> I'm just clapping myself. I've never done it before. Two people. <laughs> applauding yeah. in a small yeah, quiet exactly. room is what exactly. you want. Uh, we'll do it in uh, post. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. um, thanks, thanks for having me on. And um, you guys, we we changed our theme music at one point last year, and people lost their shit. Yeah. Uh, so I think about good theme music a lot, and mostly I am just trying to lead to the fact that I think you have the best theme music. In the is that yeah? Damn right. Yeah. I like that. We really yeah. do. We really do. Yeah. yeah. You're, you DJ'd that, didn't you? No, no, no. I, yeah. I went and found a kid who is a producer, maker of music, and every kid at this point. And you gave him an FDR speech? 13, <laughs> he found it. <laughs> and he totally BPMs. found it. Really? Yeah, yeah. He found the clip. Wow. He found it. Yeah, yeah. Look uh, at that. I, you know what's funny? I, I was going to license some music, um, and I nearly licensed two different songs. Um, one was uh, Little Dicky. Brown, faded, browned out, looking all shaded. Because I just like the, the mm-hmm. instrumentals on there. But the other one was uh, Galaxy, which is a, a currency track. didn't come together but we don't so we have this because what you do those might have been a little it was gonna be it was gonna be a little rich the currency thing we actually came to terms and it was close but then we found the music that we have and i paid very little for yeah but you're creating jobs but it's great some kid i am always creating jobs some kid from bangalore that's what i'm doing you outsourced it immigrants we get the job yeah don't i did that i did that for you guys well i'm oh my god i'm actually an immigrant so i get to do that well actually if you use the child if you use that line accurately i think you have to actually license it and pay that's probably true you have to pay barry wise i've also not i've also not seen that play um i haven't either have you no i mean what do i look i'm in podcast yeah, <laughs> fucking television. I'm not gonna. I can't afford I, I that. Can't afford to go. <laughs> I 
always think I can go and uh, and get things uh, for free mm-hmm. by sending emails, and it just doesn't work anymore. Is that true? That was what are you, what are you well, so, so here's the one I'm going to send tomorrow morning. Uh-huh. This is kind of lame. This is actually true. Uh-huh. <laughs> the uh, David Bowie exhibition at the Brooklyn mm-hmm. Museum is sold out. I've got tickets. Uh, oh. Yeah, you paid for it, motherfucker. Wait for this. <laughs> I'm going to send my beseeching email tomorrow and be like, hey, you know, I'm really thinking about covering this. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. going to go for an hour and leave. Yeah. But it's like uh, every, you know, I feel bad. I'm the only person on earth that feels guilty about this. Like I see a book in the bookstore totally and, like, uh, and I email the publisher and I'm like, oh, you send me a review copy. And then they do. And I just like read it. And then that's it. No, no. The first right. thing I did with my press credentials was abuse them to go to uh, basketball oh, yeah. games at really? University of Maryland. Absolutely. I've done that. So I was like, wow. Really? Yeah, I'm an, I'm well, an I was always, ESPN I was, employee, yeah. weirdly. Um, and I've done, gotten into some pretty great games. Well, I was, that's like, a, been in Chicago for some other thing. And. There was like a Bulls playoff game that night, and I just like oh you emailed, went that high. I emailed a guy and was like, uh, I I'm considering covering this for five thirty eight, and they like <laughs> ten minutes really? later were like your names at the at the at the desk, you know, go in, give me yeah. your name. I and, and you know it's a press pass. I just like wandered around, and I was standing courtside for actually this is now sad to say because of where Derrick Rose has ended up, but oh. he hit a buzzer beater in Chicago at home in the playoffs. I was standing like five feet away, mm. and it was. And God, never, he was, and I, uh, he was remarkable in his time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but before we go too far, I did want to say um, that the uh, the Five Thirty Eight Politics podcast mm-hmm. is one of my favorite cool. podcasts, well, which is why um, I'd asked you. I don't know when the first time we exchanged messages. It was, was a while. Was and I think my, back. my exact response to you when you said, "Would you like to come on the podcast?" was, "Why me?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's usually the usually response is "Go fuck yourself." Yeah. <laughs> so that was nice. It's That's a little not change. True. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. The response is usually, "Oh, I'd forgot to close my DMs." <laughs> <laughs> my DMs are open. Yeah. What is <laughs> I don't know what I said in response to that, but I think you do a great job Thank of you. shepherding the conversation there. And it's funny, I, I was mentioning uh, earlier that I've had to curtail my uh, media consumption habits mm-hmm. a bit, mostly on account of the baby arriving yeah. and stuff and just not having nearly as much bandwidth, but also just to be able to focus. There yeah. is always this sense, especially for people who talk about ideas in public, that you need to read everything to be ready and prepared to have a conversation about stuff. Uh, What I find, though, more recently is that I am reading much fewer things. uh, And there were a couple of things that I depend on. So it's the the Daily Brief um, from like uh, New New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Axios in particular, which is surprisingly useful to me. I was skeptical in the beginning, but it's very useful. Um, But I also approach things in a slightly different way. I don't expect them to explain everything. I just need the broad strokes of what Mm -hmm. is happening so I can enter the conversation and dive deeper on an issue. But I find that the 538 Politics Podcast is actually enormously useful for giving me a sensibility about where public opinion is, how it is shifting and changing, uh, because my own approach to public policy observations and political conversations tends to not so much focus on the the perspectives like and the shifts in opinion, but tends to focus a lot more on the the limits of politics, what it can and cannot do, what it's good for and what it isn't good for. Um, so I one has to actually know something about mm-hmm. like the electoral process in order to have those conversations. But I'm generally not looking for that stuff. But you guys just have a great ongoing conversation about all of that, as well as, of course, good use of polling, bad use yeah. of polling, which <laughs> I which I also find uh, very entertaining. Yeah, what is I always find these to be the most entertaining 
sort of little trifle pieces online about people's media diets. The Atlantic used to do it quite. Yeah, I like that. I love those. Jerry, and, and I don't know we work why. In media. <laughs> we work in media and like, we want to see what other people yeah, um, yeah. Uh, read and listen to. But I mean, I find that people, that's, that's often what people ask me when I'm out shooting something and people are like, yeah. you know, where do you get your information? What do you read? What should I read? And everyone is probably asking it from a sense of like, my diet is fucked up. Yeah, exactly. That's so exactly. Yeah. You know, which yeah. is, I think, a huge, I mean, we yeah. might get into this, but it's a huge feeling, yeah. you know, it's a pervasive feeling right now. Is to like, be a media lost, nutritionist because your diet I need is some terrible. Stability, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think we're all. Yeah, we're all searching for that. Um, I feel, I and mean, I find myself to, you know, and it's hard to be that, you know, when people feel like they have sort of unhealthy media diets, that to be that media nutritionist and tell you them what to consume. Because yeah. I, I have, I found, I didn't notice it until recently, that I basically read nothing that's ideological anymore. Hmm. And, I do, and I don't know when that happened. That's funny. Neither that's do I. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like I, I, I used do to read, be. I know, do read the opinion pages. I read the opinion pages and I read the most important opinions. Sure. Um, or the most popular ones anyways, just so I can figure out how everyone else is wrong. Um, sure. Not not yeah. so much because I I am reasoning better than you, but mostly because um, I, I always feel like I'm having a different conversation than other people. It's the metaphor I, I stumbled upon today was, you know, if the biggest crisis in medicine from other people's perspectives is, you know, those calipers that we use to measure the circumference of the skull, they're really hard to use. It's just tough to manipulate in your left hand. What are you, and a phrenologist? I, and I yeah, think, I but this is the we haven't done that in about but that's 60, 60 years. But that's yeah. the point. Like You're for like me, Houston, uh, that's what I'm saying. Everyone else is that's talking about everyone else is talking <laughs> about the phrenology clamp calipers, and I'm thinking, and I'm the one who is screaming. But phrenology is not a thing. Yeah, this is yeah. a second order yeah. problem. Yeah, we might disagree. Um, we might we might disagree on that. You're right. <laughs> you know, I'm always um, feeling the bumps in your head. That's so, uh, it's true. just it's it's really telling. I was going to say something else. It's very inappropriate. Don't. I'm just not. Got to do it. You mean the words, the word feeling next to the word bumps somehow? No, no, something? it's feelings yeah. and head. Oh, yeah, were, yeah. Yeah. Okay. This man just had a baby, but <laughs> give, him, give him some. He's a starving man. Speaking of diets, he's a man's hungry. Um, hungry. I'm that sorry. thing you said about Axios, I think, is, is really important in that you know what it's for. Yes. And I feel like that is basically like the advice. It's like read whatever the fuck you want, yeah. but know what where it's coming from, what you're getting, That's and right. how it matches up with the other stuff. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too big thing here, but I think a lot of our current age and a lot of the lessons of 2016 was people, was I, you know, I more than anything thought 2016 was a media story. And that was the, the sort yeah. of, you know, the, the fundamental thing that drove that election. Hmm. And um, it had a lot to do with people just not being discerning consumers. Not yeah. exact, not entire, you know, sometimes it was like the stuff you're consuming is bullshit, but more it's, you just have not sort of thought about this, this, this thing's place. Uh -huh. how, how do you, things. how do you deal with that? Because I mean, I saw a story this week that you uh, banned YouTube, Facebook a couple of weeks before every election. What was that? A heat jeer? <laughs> yeah. Was that a heat jeerer? Yeah. God, jeet here. Yeah. Did you just, just verbal, yeah. Did, verbalize it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the two most disappointing words in the, in the English language, jeet here. Um, it's a, bold, yeah, a bold proclamation. Not, yeah. not banning, but I did see that YouTube story that they're going to try to supplement um, conspiracy videos with Wikipedia links that yeah. will pop up in the videos as overlay text. For you to get and the Facebook real is partnering with Snopes, is that yes, right? yeah. Snopes, which has its which, own problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, on top of like some messy divorce between the two, I think the Mickelsons that actually run that thing. But what do you, I mean? At what point? Because I, you made an interesting point: is that people aren't being discerning mm -hmm. news consumers. I mean, how 
much do we expect of people in an age when I'd say probably 20 years ago, fewer people were interested in the news because it just wasn't in front of them all the time. I mean, my yeah. mother all of a sudden has political opinions because she's checking, you know, pictures of her granddaughter on, on, on Facebook. And then it's like, oh, did you see this story? And doesn't get past the headline. And God knows that might be a dodgy headline, too. That's the argument anyway. I mean, is it a time now that we just have to say, look, I mean, stop, you know, whinging about fake news we should, people should, I mean, I look at this stuff, I'm like, this is sort of transparently fake. Mm -hmm. And I maybe have different set of equipment to deal with that because I've been in media for a long time. But it just seems to me that most of this stuff is so obviously fake and these people are so hopeless, there's really nothing you can do about it. But but isn't, but we talked about this a, Remember the, a lot. I mean, the first, one final, sorry no, to cut you out, one final point, is I think the, the, the first sort of viral email uh, in the 90s was the Clinton death list. Do you remember yeah, this thing? Yeah. I mean, this stuff is going to exist for, it has existed right. from time immemorial. I mean, what do you do about it? Yeah, I, you want to tackle that I, Well, one? no, it's it's one of those things. I We've talked about this a little bit before. My, my own take on this is it's important to contextualize the problem you're wrestling with. And the truth is that we we know that there's a great deal of political ignorance in society and always has been. Yeah. Um, and the truth is that people generally don't read the news. This is not new. So for fake news to be the problem per se, like one would have to actually assume that people are reading the news to begin with. And it's not clear that, that they are. And well, the, I think just quickly, the related, yeah. related point I'd make is that with, for example, the last election, it's not even obvious to me that the fundamental problem that anyone is talking about is, you know, Russia actually creating a great deal of fake news for mm -hmm. Americans to consume. They were generally amplifying narratives that already existed in the zeitgeist. And I'm not suggesting that it had any sort of significant impact on the election. I'm very skeptical uh, of the impact that it had, but I, I don't know for sure. So I'll leave it at that. Um, but I think those are the important points to keep in front of us when we consider, you know, are people becoming worse consumers of media? Are there are their habits changing in a way that might be deleterious? The truth is that their habits were always not great if what we expect is that everyone is reading the paper from cover to cover and un has a sophisticated understanding of what these policies are about and then go to the ballot box to make decisions based on their sophisticated understandings. People make decisions about what to vote for on the basis of a number of things. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, historically speaking, it hasn't been facts. Mm. But there, so there's so there's the sort of facts, you know, and how much sort of actual truth are people consuming issue. Yeah. But then there's also the as they read it and interpret it. Um, I mean, I think, you know, Michael, you were saying that people feel more like they're consuming a lot of news and feel more informed. I mean, I think studies have shown this, you know, it's like we're dunning Krugering ourselves to death here. Right. Mm. Uh, people are both reading more, feeling more informed and being less informed at the same time, which is the most dangerous you know, yeah. combination of the two. And we have basically we seen... have a president who is a walking Dunning-Kruger syndrome yes. who have has seen... just enough knowledge to convince himself yeah, yeah. that he knows everything. That knowledge is also often wrong. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the main thing. I mean, you know, I, I don't know, this sounds very, very sort of, uh, I don't know, a little throwbacky or whatever, or naive, it... but like humility in reading the news, I think it's something that has been lost and just kind mm -hmm. of like this basic understanding that there, I don't know a lot. And mm -hmm. that is my starting premise as opposed to, 
I've got this figured out. Yeah. And there's something that has switched. And I think Facebook somehow pushes that button of like, you're going to, you know, you can now walk around yeah. knowing the capital T truth. Is that your instinct though? That, that, the, that something some is data flipped? I mean, there has been, there have okay. been yeah. some studies that yeah. show that people's confidence in the news has gone up mm-hmm. as their sources of news have narrowed. Yeah. And that is, you know, precisely that gets at some of the, yeah, the yeah. you know, I think we wrote about I, it on 530. I, I, I mean, <laughs> one of the funny things, and I was having this conversation the other day, and I actually couldn't believe as I remembered it, that it was actually true. But the remember that in the days after the election, and I remember this came up in a story that we were doing and I pushed back a little bit and I remember this conversation and I have to give, Trump and Trump world, you know, and that's everybody. You're getting ready to give them credit for something? Yeah, I'm going to give them credit for something. I I mean, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the Laura Ingrams, all these people, not people within the administration, Mm -hmm. but Trump world. I give them an enormous amount of credit for reclaiming the idea of fake news because what people tend to forget is right after. There was that moment where it it was was a a Clinton thing. And it was a charge against them. It was a charge against them. Turned it around. Essentially what it was, and I find (laughs) this really interesting is that, and you can talk about it in the larger sense of it, and it's essentially this Marxist concept. It's sort of Engels actually came up with this idea of false consciousness. And you and, don't read theory anymore. Yeah, no, nah, never. <laughs> it's, it's stuck in my head for a long time ago. And then it was updated for the Thomas Frank thing. What's the matter with Kansas? It's kind of this elitist idea of like, well, they're voting against their own self-interest. Right. Well, who the fuck are you to say what their self-interest mm-hmm. is? You're telling them as, you know, you're voting because you need these programs. You should like them. Abortion's not more important than, you know, food stamps, whatever they might, might say. But the false consciousness ideas where the fake news uh, thing came from was that we would have won this if people were not reading all this nonsense about Hillary Clinton, which is an amazing thing to think of where Donald Trump somewhere and was not in a in a kind of mustache twisting malevolent way where he said, oh, well, let's take this back. He I mean, in his dopey way, said, I like that. I like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. just st- started spouting and yelling fake news all the time. And now it's become a Trump. Well, thing. that is absolutely it's an amazing, his, his amazing. number one gift is for reading a moment yeah. and reading basically a headline and and jujitsuing it, you know, in his favor. And he continues to do that. I, you know, I think grading on the Trump curve in yeah. an effective way, in a lot of ways. You know? I think so too. I, I'm, I'm amazed to remember that window of about three or four right. days right. when this idea was that, you know, this, this dodgy news was the, what, what pushed it over the top uh, for Trump and against Hillary Clinton. I mean, look in the past couple of days, I mean, you have, you have, um, these sanctions, which are which are targeting people that are involved in a troll factory in St. Petersburg. Right. And I heard this woman on NPR um, this afternoon, I think it was on All Things uh-huh. Considered, and um, coastal elitist that I am, listening mm-hmm. to All Things Considered, as I'm sitting, waiting in the fucking subway to move inch <laughs> forward. Um, and uh, that's what keeps the sort of libertarian stuff flowing, is the MTA cannot <laughs> run this thing. Um, and, I, I, and, and there's a woman I would think who, that would have a broader impact in New York City. It does one, not. One would think that yeah. that was the one thing. They would just like, see they can't run it. And by the way, it's privatized in Sweden. Yeah. Um, well, and it runs quite well. Yeah. Uh, it, when I, this woman who was at the troll factory and she was talking about the fake stories that they would create and how they would, there was a stratification. If you spoke English well, you would target this and you would write as American characters. And there mm-hmm. was one about, and it was funny. She's like, we create a fake video game called slavery about how <laughs> Americans love slavery. And I was like, oh, that's really what pushed the election. And I sanctioned them. You know, it's like, it's like, I, I think they're bad actors and I know that that all the intelligence agencies are right about this and trying to sway the election, but good God, how ham-fisted is this? Yeah and, yeah, and I mean, it's all it is a. I think a little bit. Democrats are falling into this trap. 
it is a cop out to point to Russia and say, you know, they, yeah. uh-huh. as you were saying, they they pushed against stuff that was already happening, mm-hmm. and it was mostly um, um, along the margins. That said, with an election that was as close as sure. the last one, it's was, hard to say. There are fifteen sure. things you can sure. point to sure. and say that was the tipping point, just because it was that. Yeah, close. yeah. Well, it's interesting. So we we actually did, got the conversation going like pretty much straight away. To this week, we'd agreed um, to maybe deviate a little bit away from the news cycle yeah. bumpers, uh, as it were, because we, we tend to talk a lot about the news of sure. the moment. Um, but in the Trump era, that ends it's up tough. being a pretty difficult task it's because tough. we come into the room and sometimes by the time we leave the yes. room, like news is broken that is just totally disrupted. And it's also, Last week, way, I actually thought that we might um, end up with a situation where we had this extensive conversation about North Korea and the president reverses himself over the yeah, course of the weekend. Yeah, yeah. It's Which still is always ambiguous happen, as to yeah. whether or not this will and happen. By, and by but, the way, when you're like, oh, let's talk about Russia and fake news and yeah. whether this, this investigation is real or not. And then like b- before you sort of done, there's another Georgie Markov. Someone's been poisoned in a park <laughs> in Salisbury. Totally. It's a good we part. Haven't even it talked never, about that. ever ends. Yeah. But let me do this before. Before, yeah. we, before we go forward, because I know I don't want to forget this, because um, we don't do commercials on the show for reasons that we're going to have to talk about after the show. We're making some damn money. I, I, I was, I'm, I was I'm, talking I'm, to, to podcast guru Jody about that a little earlier. Literally, help I'm, us fix I'm this. grifting for cryptocurrency <laughs> on last week's, uh, and I'll talk about that in a second. But I just want to say that we're drinking again. We are drinking. And, yes. and, I, and I just want to do this before we go. This is our commercial. This, this is, is our commercial good. break. Oh. Is that... Um, um, Bob Strickland. Bob Strickland. We love Bob Strickland. Good old Bob. Um, whose uh, wife is uh, from Mauritius, and he says his favorite country, um, sent us a bunch of rum, and I can't, I don't, am I going to, I'm going to mispronounce this. That's okay. La Bourdonnais. I think it's La Bourdonnais is mm-hmm. the name of the French name of uh, of these this delicious rum that we're getting from the island of Mauritius. And he also, he also <laughs> sent us um what was it? Two hundred and twenty-five Mauritius bucks. Now, is that for you? Is that for you or for me? I imagine I, you know, it's for you. I always get the the stuff that nobody. But okay, at that point, I don't want to leave Bob uh, Strickland uh, hanging. He's wrote a very very nice letter letter, which I'm a little annoyed by. Uh, Bob, is that right? I, I, lo- I love Bob. He's great. But he said I love the special dispatches, and he mentions the Skip Gates one, mm-hmm. John McWhorter. Yeah. And you know I did one, <laughs> and I'm getting bubkiss from Bob Strickland. Well, no, I have to tell you, we really we are back. Tina Brown, listen to us. Very good episode. It, it was a great episode. We're backlogged, and it is entirely yeah. possible that Bob sent this before the oh, Tina. We're that backlogged. Takes a while to get here. Yeah, 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 from Mauritius. We've yeah. got. I think ton, Bob lives in Ohio. Yeah, a, we've got. Yeah, wait, we've got Bob, a ton of alcohol at the wait, office. Read that, that hasn't first lining of Bob, Bob. Why do you hate America? Uh, yeah. Well, he, no. <laughs> he said, he said Mauritius thank is my you. favorite country. Yes, <laughs> it, it is from my favorite country. <laughs> and the next line is because I so hate this hellhole yeah. of a country. And I love to America. And I'm getting a Noam Chomsky tattoo as I type this. Bob didn't write that. Bob's good. No, Bob's um, but, a good. But dude. as on the on the cash thing, so I got two hundred and twenty-five. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mauritius rubles or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, but I, I did um, uh, do a little bleg at the end of the uh, of the show uh, yesterday because I was doing. A, I'm, I'm I'm not allowed to talk about this, but I just let the cat out of like a little bit. I'm doing a crypto related story for uh, the HBO Weekly Show, and um, Shh, we we, ta- we talked a little bit about that. And I said, um, you know, people send us booze, send us send me some crypto. Um, someone sends a, a kind of sizable amount, not huge, just like, you know, like around $100, basically. That's a, that's and they sent it to you or some... Well, I set up wallet IDs for yeah, but, the show. Yeah, I but, set up multiple ones and yeah, I put yeah. them in the in, in the, the signature. And people, Did you? Yeah, and people send some money in. 
Why don't you put my fucking wallet in? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't give me a yeah, wallet. Yeah, okay, ID. so I set it up. And then two. You're the ideas guy. Yeah, I know. I know, exactly. He's the guy that makes all the money. So I says two people, uh, two people who are both very nice, uh, sent me, uh, I think one was Litecoin and the uh -huh. other one was Bitcoin. And, and, and now, yeah, aha, in your face, I've got $4.75 worth of uh, two different cryptocurrencies. But I tweeted the wallet address. So if any, if Bob Strickland's out there and is like, man, <laughs> I think you should buy some more Mauritius boots, I'll just buy it myself. Just, just put it in the, send it to me in Ethereum or. Well, now whatever. that you've mentioned that, I should yeah. also mentioned that between that was very nice that was between, very nice of bob strickland and was also very nice of the of the two people yeah. um who who gave me a little bit of crypto well i'll tell you what was even nicer is the several people who sent us both bitcoin and ethereum um equivalent to like a little over three hundred dollars when it first came wow. although bitcoin bitcoin took a bit of a, a tumble yeah. well uh, i mean the late, cab that we take so home down. from this that i split with you often is like 50 bucks <laughs> yeah yeah that quote quote unquote nice split. you always offer to split and i always say don't split i yeah. always offer yeah. yeah i always offer i'm always the guy offer. that fakes putting his hand to get the wallet he's <laughs> not even in his pocket at the end of the meal that's what i'm doing like, anyway i can't get my apple pay up <laughs> yeah yeah, apple. Apple. Sorry. yeah. Well, yeah my venmo is is broken well, I was going to say that we were we were going to essentially just do a conversation about booze, about that's fine yeah. media journalism, mm -hmm. but particularly um, I think this free speech crisis. It's I'm doing air quotes. You can't see them, but the folks in the room can. Um, but the the free speech crisis or political correctness debate, which kind of got ignited um, last week, so we'll talk a bit about that. But I also wanted to talk about something that Moynihan raised um, towards the uh, the end of our last podcast, and I I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> Maybe it's I'm trying to get ice and I'm failing. That's so fine. I'm just good. putting my hand in the thing. Uh -huh. But uh, so, I think when we you were mentioning yeah. something about you retreating from like the the yeah. sewer that is social media, so I want to uh, talk yeah, about yeah. about that as I well. Don't tweet much anymore. There's plenty of stuff that we are are kind of leaving untouched um, yeah. this week. Um, there is Rexit, uh, Rex Tillerson, sure. um, ousted from the State Department, fired. Uh, no, but by you, one there's a Donald social Trump. media angle there. there found is. out on Twitter. Found this is true. This is exactly. But actually, was told look for a tweet. I know that's amazing. That's Wait, amazing. They told him yes. to look for they a tweet. They said, yeah. "Watch on for the Friday, tweet." Someone, and, yeah. and apparently, he did not get the hint. Yeah, right. That was their way of saying basically, like, "Yeah, oh, you're gonna your get bags. fired." But I mean, that's he also like, he's like, "Of course, I'm gonna yeah. look for a fucking tweet." This guy tweets uh, all the time. Locked, I like tweets. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look for it, and it's like, yeah, it's gonna say you're fired, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, it's amazing. And of course, uh, Rex Tillerson is fired, and everyone is wondering who will who will get the nod. Yeah. Um, and that, of course, creates a, a new set of controversies yes. because now we have some confirmation hearings coming down the pipe. So Mike Pompeo, yeah. who's the former CIA or current CIA boss, sure. now has been tapped to move up over to uh, over to the State Department. And I guess this is a, this is a move up. This is an advancement, yeah, generally sure. speaking. Uh, but. The real controversy seems to be a little further down the ticket, um, and there is a conversation about a woman who is potentially going to be the first woman to become the head of the CIA, and the sure. president is being celebrated for having made well, this decision. A little bit. <laughs> huh. I, I love the fact On that this podcast in the last five seconds. Yeah, you you got a tattoo of her on your I'm not arm. The, I'm not the only one, I'm sure, who's celebrating this. No, but, but, but I, it's really funny that that all the. Um, 
It's funny to see so many tweets to be like, you know, I mean, I think it's cool that she's the first woman, but it's like, I mean, is that really? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was like, yeah. you are the first yeah. woman to waterboard me. So <laughs> it's great. The, the obvious joke here is that Gina, Gina, I believe it's Haspel. 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 Yeah, Gina Haspel, um, who is the deputy director of the CIA, yeah. um, is is currently the nominee to take over. The difficulty for her is that uh, she is notorious for having been in charge of CIA black sites in Asia where yeah. they conducted enhanced interrogation, if is you like. Yeah. Uh, some other people torture, who yeah. who are perhaps a little more squeamish might call it torture. Yeah. Um, I, I would be counted amongst them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in addition to being responsible for overseeing these sites, <laughs> uh, once these sites and activities were, <laughs> were Revealed, stopped, yeah, yeah. Um, she decided that it was a really good idea to destroy all of the evidence yeah. of the torture that took place in those places. Yes, videotapes. And she did this while there was a order, a request yeah. that don't destroy any of the evidence. We want to see. Send us everything you've got. Um, she decided I mean, to destroy everything. I mean, it was more of a suggestion. Yeah. Well, in either, <laughs> Can you not destroy this in, stuff? In yeah. either case, um, she uh, she is now potentially going to be promoted to boss of the CIA. So there is a, a lot of, of to-do about this in Washington. And, you know, we don't have to get too deep into this. I will say candidly that I hope that the confirmation hearing happens and that there is a very public very embarrassing unpacking of all of the things that she was involved in and that the country itself was involved in during this period. Um, is, is part of that because you felt like, I mean, Obama, there was a lot of talk about whether Obama was going to kind of turn the page and uh -huh. move on from the Iraq war. Yeah. Not, you know, from the uh -huh. Bush years or um, have a sort of reckoning. And right. I mean, there were people pushing for like a truth and reconciliation commission. Sure, and all yeah. that stuff. South, um, is, South Africa style. Yeah. yeah. Is part of that, your instinct because of that, we haven't had that public conversation or Abs just because absolutely. she's going to be sitting there and she should account for her Abs behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. Thing. But I also don't want her to get the job. That in the Trump era, we're going to yeah. have that sort of soul it's, searching. It's entirely, uh, it's entirely possible. Yeah. It only, it only requires a few senators to really well, heap shame and scorn yeah. on everyone else. And the human rights community is very turned up right now. Yeah. And they have already managed to get one Trump nominee blocked and he wasn't even nominated for it was the Department of, I don't know, block something, transportation or something. Um, so I hope that this person is blocked specifically because of the awful things that they've done. And, yeah, I do think that President Obama coming into office with all of the various goals that he had at the time, he was dealing with a financial crisis. He hoped to get various policy things done. Um, and his decision was, you know, we're just going to let we're going to we're going to move on. Move on yeah. um, but. Fuck that. Look, I mean, I wonder, <laughs> and, and this, Jody might be able to speak to this, is that um, you say we haven't had a conversation about this or a reckoning. I mean, we have. We've had a lot We've of had a conversation. There's been a lot of reports about this. There's been a lot of media coverage. Mm -hmm. but of there was this. no house cleaning. But I don't know, and this is what I'm going to ask Jody, because I, I don't know the numbers on this, and I don't know what the public opinion polls are, but I, my sense is that people just don't care. Yeah. My sense is that people say, ah, oh, yeah, these guys are scumbags and Bagram Air Base, these guys at Gitmo aren't, you know, it's not really a thing that animates too many people outside of the kind of Glenn Greenwald universe and other people in, in, in the political world. Um, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, but I'm just saying that, you know, people just tend not to care and say, ah, 
torture so what? I mean, you have guys on, who was the guy this week who said, you know, um, we should uh, execute uh, drug dealers. I was going to kind of cut fire on Twitter. I can't remember. Who, I what. think that was Donald Trump. Uh, uh, was it Donald Trump that he's, <laughs> his Duterte moment? Uh-huh. But like people just like, oh, yeah, it's a drug Donald dealer. Donald Trump has, se- Shoot has suggested it several times. No, I yeah, think that so, there was an opioid uh, recommendation, co- commission recommendation just maybe yeah. today or yesterday that included death penalty for Yeah, in, in Jeff Sessions when he was uh, when he was uh, AG um, in Alabama had – said that it had a three strikes uh, uh, death penalty thing that actually failed. Hmm. But and that would have included people selling marijuana. I mean, this is people don't yeah. care about this. They don't so, care about, you know, terrorists having, as they see it, a little water splashed on their face versus that. I mean, they're like, fine, let's shoot the fucking local drug dealer. These people don't care very much. But the other thing about her, which I find fair, fairly interesting. And by these people, you mean voters. Voters, yeah. And I, I what did you think? It was, I think it was like coded <laughs> just, racism or something? I just want to be sure. I mean, you. I mean, you're a Jamaican, you know, family. No, that phrase is actually you people. Yeah, I, I know oh, the difference. Oh, sorry. I didn't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm so non Racist. Thank I don't even you. know the difference. I know, but, but that's why I'm here. But um, it's funny because you say she's she's going to be vaulted to to uh, the Mike Pompeo position from the deputy director position. No one cared before. That's a huge <laughs> no, position. I, I mean, Nobody cares. And that was my well, that was one of my first thoughts. Was like, oh, she's been there this whole time. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, is remarkable. Exactly. Yeah, um, uh, gentlemen, but, I got to jump in with a quick correction oh, here. Yeah. What? Uh, oh, no, Pro, oh, no. no, nobody's fault because this okay. is very new, very breaking. About two hours old. ProPublica has issued a retraction on the story that had been widely uh, redisseminated uh, over the past two days that Haspel had personally overseen um, the waterboarding of Zoo. Bayada. Yeah, uh, yeah. She was actually not at that Thai black site uh, at the time of his waterboarding, though they do stand by their report that she ordered the destruction of the tapes. Okay. Okay. And, and I do I do think part of the, the narrative there though, Fisher, is also that there are a great many things about the the congressional um, uh, torture report that are Censored. Yeah. yeah we, absolutely, simply absolutely. we simply don't know yeah. what her role is. Sure. It, it, I don't, and pu- and I don't publicly, know she had any role. Publicly, there's no reason that all of the tapes should be destroyed. I'd say that's pretty fucking substantial. Yeah, yeah but yeah. publicly, she's given no reason to believe that she's not pro torture. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. Which is the, the, also the, the, other, the other thing to point out is um, I interviewed a couple of years ago. I had probably one of the, the better interviews I've done in the past few years, which I, I just enjoyed it so much. And he was such a great interview was former CIA director and former NSA director, Michael Hayden, hmm. um, who is a liar, he hates Donald Trump um, and is on MSNBC all the time. And in our interview, as he has in every interview since in every interview pr- prior to the one that I did with him, vigorously defended torture and he's like no one brings this up when he's on msnbc because he is reliably anti-trump he's Mm -hmm. the sort of republican dissident in the resistance a man from the intelligence community it's never brought up these days that michael hayden was the cia director and quite a a cheerleader for 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 torture and he Mm -hmm. he made a pretty pretty strenuous case to me and i i pushed back i have to put that online because there was i we did a cut that was fairly fairly abbreviated it was about a 60 minute 70 minute interview to to your point about whether you know this is a salient public issue i mean i don't know what the polling is on 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 the question of you know torture and where americans stand now but you know as a political issue i think there was there was a time where it fit into a larger narrative that was politically said i mean obama got you know elected on an anti-war stance and i think Mm -hmm. Torture is part of that sort of larger sure. narrative. That's right it's, um, it's right now, yeah. there is not a political moment where the specific question of torture sort of ties into it. So I think if there's going to be a fight over this confirmation, it's going to be about 
you know, it's going to be an anti-Trump stance. And then the sort of next level argument is we are fighting Trump because he can't find anyone good to fill this position. For instance, here's this woman who, you know, has all right. these, these marks on her. Yeah. You know, but um, but I don't think we're going to have a moment of reckoning. I don't think this is going to be. I don't, I don't think, think so. Is it, is it, I mean, are we at a point that, you know, she, you can't find anyone good and she has all these marks and we should just be thankful that it's that not like a sport, sports correspondent for Gateway Pundit? I mean, look, if you, if you bypass, if you bypass her, you get the next, the next man or woman right. up at CIA. So I don't know that that's a particularly great loss. But I mean, I, I, I've been thinking about this kind of since that Michael Wolff book came out, yeah. which I don't have to go down that path. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, one of the big sort of thoughts for me coming out of that book was just like, oh, there is not like competent talent around this person. And they are triaging that like by the week. Uh -huh. And this past week has really been that yeah. kind of case. And it is, I think, puts a lot of um, I'm not talking about myself necessarily, here, but I think it puts a lot of liberals in a bind to kind of say, OK, Tillerson's out. This is a fiasco. Mm -hmm. Part of me likes that. But then at the same time, say like there aren't you know, there isn't a, a, a worthy replacement or we're running out of worthy. No, replacement. I've seen this and of like when Tillerson was appointed. I uh -huh. remember when Tillerson was appointed. Yes, and, like, yes. The Nancy Pelosi and like, said and he was every, a, a Putin stoolie. And everyone right. I know he went from a Putin stooge <laughs> to being fired because he wasn't hard enough on Putin. Uh, which well, he is, changed. Which I, mean, is, I, I, I saw that line going around. Yeah. I don't buy it at all. He uh, changed. <laughs> he, he, he was, you know, an, a friend of Putin because he was the head of Exxon. And yeah. now he's in. But the, the insinuation is. Is yeah. that there was a great Russian conspiracy? And well, I think that's the. I, I mean, it was it was I mean specifically about yeah. uh, comments uh, that he made, you know, vis a vis the the the, the, the poisoning, poisoning yeah. which is crazy primarily because the story that he was going to be fired and replaced by Mike Pompeo was in the New York Times three months ago. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's so been a long standing it's been a rumor, standing rumor long. and it just seems that it was it was going to be fulfilled sometime. Uh, you know, now it was inevitable, but it is funny to see these people who who were like, "Oh my God, Rex Tillerson's the end of civilization." Now going, "Oh God, Rex Tillerson's gonna it was a stabilizing was, yeah, force." Yeah, it was a stabilizing and, force, yeah. like, which, yeah. by the way, isn't necessarily wrong. Mm -hmm. um, he right. seemed I mean, to be incredibly incompetent in most every way. Um, you know, there were so many positions that weren't even filled within state that we were desperate to fill. But you know, I mean, who comes next? I mean, that's the worry with Trump all the time. Is that you know. I, the funniest thing about this is this war between Peter Navarro and Gary Cohn. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, everyone <laughs> says Cohn's out. The globalists uh, are, are out and, and the protection, the nationalists have won. And holy shit, Larry Kudlow's yeah, coming Larry in. I mean, Kudlow it's like completely baffling. Yeah. You know, he, signed, he, he wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal co-signed by Stephen Moore and one of these other uh, uh, old supply siders saying like, you know, Mr. Trump, this is uh, going to be bad. Let's let's rethink it. And, you know, a couple of days later, he's he's walking in to the Council of Economics and Advisors. It's just completely baffling. Yeah. And, and, and it's back to this incredibly tedious and boring idea of uh, 4D, 3D, 20D chess. There is I no just, plan. He just like, I think he saw Larry Kudlow on TV. He's like, I like that guy. There's, oh, if there's he, no doubt that's what happened. Yeah. If he didn't yeah. have the stabilizing, moderating forces around him, you know, all along. And certainly at the beginning when he was assembling his cabinet. Yeah. I think it is totally reasonable that he would have stocked his inner circle and attempted to stock much of his cabinet with 
people he saw on TV. I, I, look, I mean, that's exact, exactly right. There was somebody that I did a film with this year, which has kind of given rise to on some really, really far goofy ends of the political spectrum, some some conspiracy theories mm. uh, uh, called World in Disarray. You mm -hmm. remember this film? Mm -hmm. yep. And and, and the, uh, the person who wrote that book, who remained nameless, you can just Google it, <laughs> uh, was uh, slated for a second, like, will he, will he be, maybe he could be Secretary of State. And I was like, why on earth would Donald Trump, and it was like, oh, he's on MSNBC all the time because he's uh -huh. watching Morning Joe at the time. Yeah. yeah. And that was, there was a rumor that, that anyway, it's just bananas. Yeah. Well, I, I do love ascribing these kind of, these motives and br these kind of brilliant strategic uh, uh, visions to just like, it's actually uh, far more quotidian and simple. He's just watching That's TV. Well, <laughs> and, and one of my favorite, He's literally just watching TV. He's watching cable. But one of my favorite wrinkles too is, you know, I think now we are all sort of attuned to, uh, yeah. some, many of us are attuned to this and we're saying like, oh, Trump's live tweeting TV again. But by all accounts, he gets the TV shows recorded for him and yes. then he watches them later. So he is live tweeting time shift. That's good. So good. That's so good. Uh, so yeah, he'll be no idea he'll who be, won the Stanley Cup. He'll be railing. Yeah, yeah. So he's in that contest and not know who won the Super Bowl. Yeah, but he, he'll be railing against something at like 6.32 a.m. that aired, you know, at 4 p.m. the day before and he's just going for it. It is, commitment. Uh, it it is. is so funny because I, I do, I mean, I remember this thing of, um, you know, and I remember we were shooting the, the documentary, the World in Disarray documentary, the, the HBO one that we did. And um, I saw this piece uh, of news come up on uh, as Politico email or something that Richard Haas might be um, picked uh, for state. And I was like, that, that's not true. Mm -hmm. And I was like, walk. And I, I saw him a few, and I was like, do I ask him about this? <laughs> this is kind of weird. And I think I did ask him about this. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what this is all about. And then I realized later that this was just because he was the foreign policy guy on on uh, Morning Joe. It's the same thing with like, here comes John Bolton. Mm -hmm. Wait, so is Tr Trump this uh, sort of neo-isolationist or, you know, and also you have, you know, old walrus face who's like, who, you know, who can we invade now? Uh, it doesn't make any sense yeah. because there is no sense to be made. There's no, there's no unifying idea here. It's just like, this guy seems competent. He seems like a good guy. And, and there's like, you know, when I, I, I laugh when I see these libertarian types saying like, oh, you know, don't, don't criticize Trump. He's good on foreign policy. Well, it was but only 75 will, right. tomahawks. And <laughs> but he will even turn. And then, you know, the next levels, he will also then turn on someone who he has picked for even those reasons. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Tillerson, I True. think I think a lot of the sort of previses of the world liked Tillerson, but I think Trump liked Tillerson. He did like Tillerson initially because he had the look. I mean, that was like one yeah. of the sort of talking points. He looks like uh, you know an alpha male, and he when yeah. he's when he walks into a room, he's gonna kind of get his way. And yeah. Trump was attracted to that, and that went sour. So you know, Kudlow will go sour, Bolton yeah. will go sour. You know, yeah. whoever else he brings in, it will go sour. Yeah. How do you? I guess the question is, how do you survive? In the Trump White House. I mean, there's been, I mean, that revolving door has been spinning. I think, I think we know. Since January 20th. Yeah. Uh, uh, but what, what do you think the qualities are that one needs to survive in the Trump White House? Sycophancy? Yeah, I mean, to I mean, be, you, is it cannot just, you have to be I mean, just that's, be a That's that pretty, right? pretty much yeah. what it is. You, you have to really admire and, and like the president. You have to take his side in virtually every scenario and not disagree with him publicly. Yeah. Um, and not disagree with him, apparently, even strenuously behind doors. Like, yeah. those are the important qualities. I think that's probably right. And that keeps <laughs> you, sad, that keeps you in his good graces, yeah. which, you know, this is, this is problematic um, on, on a number of levels. But at the same time, I, I think the great, the great, 
great buffer for for all people who are concerned that this president might not be particularly up to the job or might have the wrong ideas uh, about how to make the world a better place and how to make America great again. Yeah. Um, to, to use a phrase that's uh, I don't know who made that up. Um, but, uh, you know, he's. So far as governance goes, inept. Is that the, the you remember that that boring uh, talking point of that you know he's going to surround himself with the best people he might not know anything but he'll get people in that will tell him things mm-hmm. I mean at the same time you have to be sycophantic but you also have to have a point of view right so there are going to be competing points of view of two people who are both appropriately sycophantic I still can't quite figure out which one wins out and how it wins out yeah it's not clear and it's not clear yeah, to and me. I don't even know if point of view is I mean there's point of view but not world view. Uh, right. right. Yeah. And and I think it's just if you happen to be aligned and that's know true. Trump yeah. well enough or be wired the same way to kind of react to the latest thing in a way that aligns with him, then yeah. you will be, sure. you know, probably simpatico. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't you know, I don't think there's anyone there who who sees the world in entirely the same way that Donald Trump does. I think there's people who are just able to navigate the churning yeah. waters yeah. And, and kind of stay afloat. Yeah, it's 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 in, it's impossible in kind of a pointless a task, a mugs game to kind of try to read the tea leaves within yeah. that White House. I think it's probably going to be more interesting after he's cashiered either in the next election or in or, or in this, the two election cycles to actually look back on this and, and when people start talking uh, and feel safer to start talking about this stuff. Well, I wanted to, to, to pull us back to the conversation we were having a little earlier about sort of the media landscape in general, um, but specifically this question about uh, uh, campuses sure. um, and yeah. free speech we being yeah. Yeah. being yeah. under yeah. threat. And yeah. we've actually talked about it a fair sure. amount on this program because yeah. when and you were you went to Evergreen to talk to one of the Weinstein uh, Brett, brothers. Yeah. This is Brett yeah. Weinstein. Yeah, before was Brett had become a thing. Yeah, yeah. A thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, which is which is a weird uh it's also a strange thing because mm-hmm. it affects uh, people in a strange way. I actually had a conversation and we should get him on the show with uh, Jay Caspian Kang. Um, who's uh, very aggressively saying that there is no free speech crisis and it's all a kind of bullshit figment of the imaginations of and, and the look, imaginations I, I, of whom of of you know the Brett Weinstein's of the world. Okay, um, and I think Jay is a brilliant guy and makes a very compelling argument. I disagree with him on a couple of fundamental levels. We should get him on to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But um, I do agree with Jay on, on one thing. And he 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 got um, attacked pretty ruthlessly online for this interview he did for our show with Jordan Peterson. Um, and it, that's a cult that I don't quite understand, the Peterson cult. I've actually listened, after that, I actually listened to Jordan Peterson for the first time, and I can't quite understand why he he um, attracts uh, it's this bizarre. kind of, it's so yeah. bizarre, this kind of slavish devotion from people who say, like, he's made me clean my room, and now now <laughs> I'm, um, you know, giving him $400 a month on Patreon. Uh, good for him. I think it's fine. And I, mm-hmm. and I heard him on Joe Rogan's podcast, and, and I actually found him fairly interesting and compelling. I didn't think he was a kind of sinister character after I uh, listen to him. But there is an instinct amongst people um, when they get in these positions to become kind of prof- not professional victims, per se, but they 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 align themselves with weird people. They tend to, you know, I, I don't I don't like I, I, I avoid people who I think are toxic. <laughs> they're like, well, you know, they're on our side for this issue. Mm-hmm. It's fine. And I, I, I find there's something rather strange about that. But on the sort of broader campus thing, I do think that one thing that um, a lot of these people miss is the kind of shift 
that I see amongst younger people, because I work with a lot of younger people, I interact with a lot of people that are, you know, significantly younger than I am and went to college like, sort of two generations after me, I, I see a very significant shift in the way they believe that speech is violent, that they classify it as violence and say, you know, we, you know, it's harmful. I interviewed somebody for a piece that I'm doing uh, the other day about it was a campusy type piece, not very, not exactly the same thing, but their their entire thing was about the safety of their students. That mm -hmm. word, they kept coming back and I'm like, we have to keep our students safe from particular ideas. There might be somebody in the audience that has experienced something in the past that will be triggered by a certain, certain speech and they should know before they're going into a particular event what they're getting into and we have to protect them from that. And the one thing that I found compelling about Jordan Peterson, one thing, that, that, you know, I think it's kind of de rigueur stuff about, about speech in a lot of ways. But the one thing, because he's a clinical psychologist, that he, that he said that I was like, actually, that's a fairly good point, is that on campuses, this is the exact opposite of the way clinical psychologists say that one must deal with trauma. Being protected from it mm -hmm. and putting your head in the sand and saying, whoa, that word might trigger a bad memory from somebody who's been either the victim of violence or sexual assault or whatever, is the absolute wrong way of going about treating somebody, mm -hmm. which I think is a fairly, fairly interesting point, And I find it pretty compelling. Do I think there's a crisis of speech on campus? Well, I think that I think there's a, been a real shift in the way young people think that speech should be regulated. For, mm -hmm. for instance, I find I, I find a lot of people who believe that that uh, um, uh, hate speech is a category in the way that it is a legal category in the way that it is in Europe. That like, well, this, this is a kind of a hate speech issue. That's not a real thing in the sense that, you know, I think hate crimes are, and they often conflate the two. So that actually troubles me a lot when they, when, when younger people think that there are, are ideas that are too dangerous to be heard. And there's a lot I mean, of data. You got, to, those, you got those studies in yeah, front of you? Yeah, there's a lot of data <laughs> suggesting that. Not, not, well, I don't well, know if the data aligns necessarily. Well, that's what I was, I was just going to say. My personal experience, again, mm -hmm. is worthless because it's anecdotal and it doesn't mean anything. And I'm also, of course, dealing But you with, have a social media presence, so you get to... I try to avoid to make that your personal experience. You get to extrapolate. I try to avoid social media. I try to avoid it and try to avoid talking about this on social media because it's kind of a too hot of an issue sometimes. But I, I, I see often mm -hmm. in corporate culture, my own corporate culture, other corporate cultures of the language that is used about um, speech mm -hmm. and about feelings and about sensitivities mm -hmm. and about uh, triggers. I find it a, a market shift from the past 10 years. If you had showed me this stuff 10 years ago, I'd say that's a joke. Right? Yeah. It's a dystopian joke. And this is, I think this so I is- So see a cultural shift for sure. Yeah, and, and I share I share that instinct, but what has happened recently, and I think you were alluding to it, Jody, is um, I think it's uh, Jeffrey Sachs is the is the name of the guy. Um, he is a yeah. PhD, um, Miguel a very PhD famous, uh, at uh, Acadia uh, University. Is he? Is that where? I think it was at Columbia. It, no, that's this a is different a different Sachs. different Jeffrey Sachs. Oh, it's a different Not Jeffrey. Yeah. Sachs. <laughs> oh, okay. Different Jeffrey Sachs. Yeah. Um, but he had a Sachs. he had a post. <laughs> the loser Sachs. He, he the had Canadian, a post. It's <laughs> literally the Canadian version. Like you were Twitter. You were Twitter. Yeah, followers exactly. A little yeah, it's like the bag you buy in Chinatown. It's like Fundy. That's Fundy. Yeah. Indeed. Although he's actually attracted a, a few more prominent yes, Twitter followers his way sure. of late because he had a, a tweet stream um, and the first 
tweet in it is there is no campus free speech crisis. Um, and he goes on to unpack some data. Um, yeah. He looks at sure. um, the Knight uh, Pew study. I believe he actually looks at the one from from last year. There was a new one released this week. Um, and I'm not sure if that was available when he first um, put this together. Um, but he pulls out a number of things. And the general insight that he offers um, is, and I'm summarizing, but you should go look this up for yourself, um, is that opinions, perspectives on the value of free speech and on the appropriateness of people who might have in the past or even today by some people be be regarded as like outsiders, um, that opinion on whether or not they should actually be able to speak on campus is not trending in a in an adverse direction, that in general, there tends stable. to be a fair amount of support for free speech on college campuses. He does um, offer some qualifications. There are other people who have written some pieces on this recently as well, like Matt Iglesias over at Vox, although I think Matt actually borrows a hell of a lot yeah. from Jeffrey and doesn't give him credit for it. I won't say Someone that's on Vox plagiarism. Taking something and <laughs> rewriting it? I, I'm not yeah. going to say it's plagiarism. <laughs> But but he does that. But Jonathan Haidt also has a, a response to him. So both of those um, tweets threads are worth paying. What some is attention what is to. Jonathan? I think I find Jonathan to be a, one of the more interesting thinkers on this. I had uh, lunch with him not long ago, and mm -hmm. I mean he is one of those guys. You know, it's it, he's not a Fox News liberal. Mm -hmm. You know, like you no, know, not at all. One of these guys who I worked in a Democratic campaign in 1975. I'm effectively a conservative, <laughs> but you know, I'm a liberal. Yeah, uh, he's he's a fairly liberal guy mm -hmm. and has a pretty strong disagreements with people like Jordan Peterson. Uh -huh. But I, I'm interested. What what was his uh, kind of tweet storm to on this? The, his... the short version of this is Jonathan suggests that the data is somewhat conflicting on whether or not opinion is trending in yeah. a good or bad direction. Um, he also goes on to say, he really does conclude I, this. Yeah. He really does conclude this by saying it's actually a really complicated problem sure. with a number of moving parts. Um, and we are doing additional work on this. I actually exchanged emails with him earlier this week on another matter. Um, and he said, show. he's really smart. Uh, I'd, I'd invited him, but he couldn't make it today. Um, but he said um, that he's working on a longer form piece. So there's Can there's I not pull out one lot, sort yeah. of thread of this very complicated yeah, thing, which please is, do. you know, I think I may align pretty close to Jake Hang on a lot of this stuff, mm -hmm. but certainly on this one, one fundamental question of, you know, does this matter? Does what's happening on college campuses actually matter for the real world? Mm -hmm. And, you know, at another level, why has what's happening on college campuses attracted so much consternation in, you know, the op-ed pages of the New York Times, in elite Twitter uh, spats, right. you know, um, why are we fighting, you know, this sort of high minded proxy war about our values and our speech um, on, you know, on these college campuses with like 10 kids yelling at one racist? Well, we do this often. I mean, it's it's the only one that people pick up and say, hey, why are do we? we? Say, oh, we do. God, of Absolutely. course. With we, every, with we every, obsess I mean, about uh, what's uh, happening uh, on college campuses. No, 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 no. Hear me out here. It's, it, we do this with so many things that are just in the kind of eyeline of the elites. And it's only yeah. it's only this one where people are like, why are we talking about this? Like, well, because these are often the colleges that these people went to. Mm -hmm. uh, Barry Weiss, for instance, went to Columbia. There's been right. there's been these roiling debates at Columbia for many years for on many issues. So we tend to talk about those things a bit. But what's another example of where we have this sort of proxy conversation everything, in a much smaller everything, world? Everything in The New York Times when it comes to food, culture, et cetera. I mean, there's this I joke. Mean, I, I don't this know this that joke mass, of the fake, mass the, shootings are an exception either. I mean, we, uh, we have conversations about, about we have conversations about issues like gun control in the context of something that happens 
relatively infrequently, like mm-hmm. school shootings, for example. Well, this I mean, is, look, we've, I, uh, it's, it's a debate about an important got, issue by, by anecdote. For, for, for a few reasons. But I would say that the one thing I think we probably would agree on is the the issue of of police shootings, of sure. unarmed people, is that, you know, I mean, the, the Washington Post did that study last year when they, I think they aggregated all the shootings in 2015, found that there were 36 um, unarmed African-American men that were shot uh, by the police out of enormous. You it's know, about whatever. a thousand. We've about, seen yeah. about a thousand people since the yeah. Washington Post has been tracking this, which is 2015. We've had about a thousand people die um, in uh, interactions with the police uh, every single year. And I think the one that they were looking at, there was like 36 African-Americans yeah. out, of, out of about 100 shootings, unarmed shootings that they that, you know, which is over indexing. Right. And some people say with well, respect to the population, with respect yeah. to the population. And then even of those 36, they're fairly complicated. A bunch of them are fairly complicated and there's not like cut and dry ones. There's the Tamir Rice one, which are pretty cut and dry, oh. right? So it, it, like that doesn't happen very much. And, and we have an outsized conversation about that too. But it's not that, that you are talking about a specific issue that might be small. Mm-hmm. It's here, it's we're having a conversation about free speech, right. which is huge. Yeah, yeah. And everyone, and it's something that we should grapple with in the adult world. Uh-huh. And we have for some reason chosen to have that conversation and get worked up about it well, on the on on a college campus. I think that when we should be confronting it, you know, kind of uh, amongst well, the. I think, that, I think that what you say, like when you say on a college campus, I think that's actually the important issue, right? I mean, I don't have free speech rights really on uh, at, m- at my place of work for obvious mm-hmm. reasons, right? College campus, we tend to associate, well, this is the place where you're supposed to exchange ideas, stupid, crazy, good, bad, or, right. or, or other. And it no, seems like- my argument. Yeah, no, I'm saying, and it, <laughs> se- and it seems like this is the place where they're really being challenged that you could even have these debates. I think that's the overarching right. argument here is that in, in a college campus where you're supposed to be able to have these debates, you really can't have these debates. But-, but- but that is the debate. Uh, someone showing up on a college campus, and it happened when I was in college. It happened mm-hmm. when everyone was in college. There just wasn't Twitter to freak out about it. Yeah. Like a speaker <laughs> would come, 10 idiots or, you know, heroes from the Young Socialist Club would yell at them uh-huh. and w- the world would keep spinning. And yeah. that person would, you know, give their speech yeah. or not give their speech, go home, maybe tell their wives or their editors like, wow, that was crazy. And then yeah. you move on. And I, it's think, I think another issue here is thing. how the administrations themselves have handled it in the, in the Evergreen Example, I, I, I uh, interviewed uh, George Bridges, who is the president right. of Evergreen, who walked out in the interview with me. Um, and he was he was just it was so funny to hear someone so desperately not trying to offend the student body and saying that, well, you know, I said they called you they call you a white supremacist. And he said, well, you know, I might be kind of thing. And that was really interesting. But I, I see that that there were some um, uh, administrations like at uh, Northwestern, I think it was. Was it Chicago? Oh, Chicago. They, that put out a statement and said, hey. Tried to kind of push like, back. Yeah, yeah, we're like this. We value uh, free speech. There have been a number of, of administrations, college administrations, who have not been so clear about these things, which I think has also propelled well, this that's, debate. That's the big project that, that Jonathan Haidt yeah. um, and others yeah. are working on at Heterodox U, where they're trying to to convince universities to embrace um, a a different sort of policy when it comes to speech on campus. And I think that's a worthwhile conversation, but, but perhaps to, to, to try to fence this in a little bit, like the, the recent 
conversation about whether or not there's a con- uh, a crisis on campus mm. has been a real data-driven conversation, or sure. at least one that tries to be data-driven um, by looking at, say, polling data. Um, and the, the poll um, that Sachs referred to is one that's been done repeatedly since the 1970s, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Um, and there actually does seem to be an affirmative trend. Um, I do think, though, it's, it's appropriate to take a look at the other things that he cited, like the Knight Foundation study. Um, he didn't cite the the Cato um, and YouGov poll that was done last year, um, but that one matters um, as well. And when I looked at those studies recently, what I found is a picture that's a hell of a lot more complicated than just, you know, of course, we all like free speech. Yeah. The the idea of free speech, the romantic notion that people ought to be able to say what they like, and the specific idea that the government ought not be able to stop you from saying things, generally popular. It's popular amongst college students, and it's popular amongst um, uh, amongst the citizen at citizens at large. Um, but the idea that's actually a little more complicated is when it comes to speech. At the margins, things like hate speech, which the right, polling so from Knight Foundation, for example, should a racist be allowed to give a speech on yeah, your yeah, campus or a, something? Wh- right, yeah. which and that's the one that has sort of moved yeah, yeah. in the negative direction, meaning but fewer people potentially. But mm-hmm. that's so complicated. But I think there's polling question. But I think yeah, there's more. Is, but I think there's even more yeah. to it, though. Though yeah. it's part of it is that there are actually some like conflicting ideas. Yeah. So looking at the the Cato YouGov poll, which was toward the middle or end of last. Last year, but they'll say stuff like 82% believe that hate speech is hard to define. Um, the 70% believe that a big problem in this country um, is uh, being politically incorrect. Um, 58% say that the political climate these days prevent me from saying things that I believe because others might find it offensive, which well, I interestingly- f- I find, by the way, that everybody I know uh-huh. thinks that. Well, this, well I, everybody you, I work with, I mean, everyone feels that the, that the ground is shifted well, this on is that. Another, there's a lot of kind this of is actually another issue. walking. Yeah, this is another like issue yeah. where the Knight Foundation study has- over the course of 2016 and 2017, actually seen an uptick in the number of people on college. And this is a survey of college students who say that they do feel that on campus, it is a more dangerous place in which to say things. And I think the question here is, is there a free speech crisis? I would say crisis is perhaps the wrong word Mm -hmm. to use. And it is easy to overstate um, the severity of a problem like this. Um, But I definitely think it's the case that there does seem to be a trend towards one thing in particular, which is a concern for the dangerousness of speech. And this does bear out in the in the same data set. And when people perceive that there is either the potential to um, pollute people with bad ideas, say fake news, for example, which a lot of people want to censor that, um, or to um, potentially endanger various immigrant groups by saying hateful things, they are all too willing to prohibit speech. The difficulty, of course, is what everyone agreed to, 82%, that hate speech is hard to define. And mm-hmm. if you make yeah. that acknowledgement, but simultaneously believe that universities have an obligation to protect students and that, you know, America, the government ought to be regulating hate street speech. It's actually quite difficult to maintain those two positions. And the one thing that we have seen, and this will be my last one, I want to get you in here, Jody, is that the ACLU has itself as an institution which is safeguarding these rights. One of the many has in a number of cases in recent years subordinated its defense of free speech in particular contexts to other concerns, like concerns about racism, um, about 
about um, white supremacist groups that have guns, even uh, there's abortion a big, there's abortion a clinics split. and I, buffer I, zones yeah, and was, campaign finance reform. And just on this issue on the ACLU, and I want to get to Jody on this because I actually have a question for Jody. Um, you know, on this issue, I talked to a number of people in the ACLU because I was thinking about doing a story. And there is a big split within the ACLU from the old Skokie ACLU that allow the Nazis to march through Skokie. And I think that was 77, 78. And that was like a big case for the ACLU. Um, and I, it, it, this person told me in the ACLU, um, I will just say, you know, on the East Coast, <laughs> said that it's really kind of an it, it's like an old biggie. Uh, Tupac kind of thing is an East Coast, West Coast thing. <laughs> and the West Coast of California ACLU, which has kind of cleaved mm -hmm. off in a way and said, no, we are more in the kind of social justice uh, mindset and we don't want to be using our resources to defend uh, people like Richard Spencer and and his his uh, rights to free speech. Um, it's kind of an interesting split. And I think that, that, that some of both both ends of this make kind of interesting, interesting arguments. But the one thing and I don't I haven't thought this thing through. So 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 bear with me. And this is a question for, for Jody. Is it do the people on the margins here and they, they are, of course, people on the margins that, you know, the Antifa types. Do they does the data actually not do justice in some ways? And I don't know this to be true. I'm just wondering and I haven't thought it through. Do they does it not do justice to the outsized outside in outsized influence they have on people in administrations who are terrified of them? So I think that I see this often in media situations where you remember the guy, this, this guy that was fired for the Jeremy Lin headline. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. it was he like said a chink in, a yeah, chink chink in, in the, the arm, and it was yeah. like I don't think that these people who are firing him are radicals any more than I think he's a racist. But they're like, let's overcorrect here because we don't want the controversy. And I find that often in corporate cultures, in media cultures, and I don't know if it's true on campuses that the people that are the ones, the ten people shouting them down, they're like, you know what? We don't want the trouble from these guys, so let's err on the side of caution. And sometimes that side of caution is something that maybe right. would abridge somebody's free speech. I don't know. So throwing that to you, Jody, <laughs> and to be somebody who's like smart, sort of on Jay, Jay Caspian Kang's uh, position, and Jay, somebody who's a friend of mine and who's somebody whose opinions on this, I actually I, I really respect, and I and I you know he's made me think about this in in interesting ways. What do you think about that? That maybe the numbers don't bear this out, but they the people on the kind of right. edges have have a lot of influence they shouldn't have. So there's the there's the conversation that you guys are getting at about whether this is trickling up into our actual culture. And I think the ACLU situation and the, just the sort of the language that you hear in your day to day yeah. now versus 10 years ago is absolutely I don't want to diminish that. Mm -hmm. But you know, I don't think that has reached crisis level sure. yet. And we are in a moment of political change where, you know, you kind of have to have these difficult conversations. There have to be some missteps in order to sort of move forward and figure out what our new norms are and we should sort of attend to that on campuses themselves i just you know I, i'll just repeat that i just feel like what's happening on campuses now yes it's a sort of heated moment but it is basically what has always been happening on campuses there have always been outsized voices there have always been internal politics True. the fucking like president's office at my college was perpetually occupied over everything from, you know, meals to Palestine. Mm -hmm. Often those were the same issues. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it was like, you yeah. can't have that hummus. Right. Right. That's but, a bad know, hummus. Like, that, is, that is what college campuses are about. And to your point earlier of like, this should be a place for an exchange of ideas and for people to make mistakes and all, and you know, and so forth. That That is an example of that. That is an example of like, college should be your place to test out bad ideas, to make missteps. And we tend to 
you know, move towards the center as we get older, but we need to go through that process. And I just worry. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be like a throwback here. I understand we're living in a time where we can't unring the bell. We're going to know what's happening on college campuses and it's uh -huh, going to go uh -huh, viral uh -huh. and so forth. Yeah, yeah. But that said, I think this is why I, you know, I'm mostly obsessed or just thinking about the Barry Weisses of the world who sit down, open their computer, say, I have va a valuable voice. I've been given a prominent voice and valuable real estate. And I'm going to choose to write about what's happening on college campus when there's other places. You know, to me, it feels like a distraction technique, hmm. like a Barry Weiss or, you know, let, let, let's take Let's take people on the center right who it's almost like. I, I can't confront what's actually happening in my party right now. So I'm going to go dunk on some college kids. Well, I don't know that Barry, <laughs> right. Barry, he's, he's Barry, Barry wouldn't, not Barry she wouldn't yeah. fit the bill right. on that because she's yeah. been but vehemently anti-Trump uh, to, to the point right. where she actually but changed But this notion that like I can take it out on these college kids and talk about what's happening on campuses as a way to sort of, you know, draw some lines and sort of take some stands because but in the real world, it's really hard for someone like that. But are you just saying some in stands. some way, I'm annoyed that these people are writing about things that I don't think they should be writing about. I mean, sure. in a way, I mean, Barry, the Barry Weisses of the world and people don't like her in some senses because of her politics on other issues. And mm -hmm. like Glenn Greenwald has pointed out that she's a sort of, you know, sinister Zionist. There, <laughs> there are, uh, there is a argument that people on the kind of, I would say, let's just say Zionist right or sort of pro-Israel right. I don't like the word pro-Israel because it, it presumes that everybody else, you know, is anti-Israel. Right. But on that kind of Israel, they have said a very similar thing. Why is it that Israel gets all the attention in the United Nations? They are they are sanctioned by more more anti-Israel votes and censures and people in Europe in the European context write about Israel constantly when there's all these bloodbaths all around them. Why the attention? Mm -hmm. Why is this singular? The argument is often made in, you know, on an issue like that, too. And I just don't I don't like the framing to say that, you know, why are they writing about these things that I don't think they should be writing about? But it's not that they should that they shouldn't be writing about it. I think- Or the, they're using this valuable real estate to focus on this thing that I don't think they should be focusing but, on. But not because I don't think it's important, but because there are more productive ways to address the large, important questions of free speech. But that, I, well, that, I that think there is I, an adult realm in which we can have this conversation yeah. and there's a kid realm. In fairness to Barry, yes. quickly, um, the piece that she wrote, it does start off with that as the premise. It actually ends with precisely yeah. what you're suggesting, that there is a broader conversation that needs to be had about the way that we value speech, which I, I think that was is a piece about uh, calling the, fat people fascists. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. We're, we're all fascists now or yeah. something along those lines was the title, which I, I think that is a valuable point. And I think, you know, using a, a framing device is appropriate. And I think it's unfortunate that Barry has become the 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 centerpiece of the conversation as to whether or not we're making too much of what's happening on campuses. Um, I think she talks about these the trend in speech and attitudes towards speech a lot, but plenty of people are. And I think the reason yeah. they are is because we we have seen some things that do seem to be, at least anecdotally, materially um, uh, different from what was happening before. But I am I'm inclined to you agree know, with you in many yeah. respects that generally speaking, like trends and attitudes about these things and even the hostility that you'll see at the margins amongst some small populations and groups are incredibly intense. 
Um, and I, 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 t- t- there's yeah. one difference here, and there's one kind of thing that I'd, I'd like to point out. And you know, I, like I think that we actually broadly agree on a lot of these points too. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think the big difference is, and the thing that 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 bothers me about how it's kind of reaching out into the into the to the broader culture, is is this. When, you know, you're, you're right, and I had the exact same experience when I was in school. Every time I walked around the corner, there were people occupying a, a fucking janitor's closet <laughs> asking for, you know, a program on the Irish famine. Honestly, that was actually happened, and I remember my, my advisor, who is this uh, fantastic guy who I always described as a gay, one-legged, semi-half-British expert on World War One. That was my advisor. <laughs> okay. um, I learned a lot from him. He was fantastic. I believe that. And I remember him saying to me one time in his, like, hilariously half William F. Buckley, patrician, kind of half Malcolm Muggeridge accent. He said, Michael, they've taken over the building. Do you know that they want an Irish studies department? And I said, yeah, no, I, I heard. And he said, it's very exciting for you, I imagine, because I believe you've actually become a victim finally. And I said, I, don't, I actually don't think that's going to you know, hold me water. But, but yeah, there was this thing, because it was it, the, the broader thing about the British imperial project and mm-hmm. the Irish, and because it was in Massachusetts, we want to be talking about this issue too. And yeah, you know, it's a funny thing because they were always taking over buildings. But I think the kind of difference that I fear that I fear that I, I, I like I see it and mm-hmm. I people talk to me about it and I know it to be true. And I have reacted in, in similar ways because of it, too, is that I would be fine if we could argue these things um, as honest brokers. But I think that everyone is fearful of having these conversations now. And that is what I think is the big yeah. difference, sure. the big shift, is that everyone says to me, sotto voce, here's what I actually really believe about me too. Here's what I actually really believe about this issue we're talking sure. about at sure. work or in this broader conversation about race. I just don't think I can really say it. That, I think, is the real, not abridgment of speech, because it's a choice that we make that's ourselves. A, that's a cultural... It's not the government. Yeah. It's not... But the cultural shift is that I just don't feel like I can have these conversations because somebody's going to wrench something that I said out of context or keep it in context and say, that's really not an acceptable view to have anymore in this corporate culture, in this media culture, and we're going to burn you at the stake for it. I think that whether or not that's true, that's the feeling that people have, and it's pretty pervasive, and I fear that that I've, I find that people on the left, and I don't really interact so much these days with people on the right, I live in New York City, but people on the left in the center, they, they tend to tell me that too, because they're like, hey, you have some weird heterodox views. I don't really feel like I can say this now. And so on campus, I feel that unfortunately the speech is speech. These conversations are being pushed to ding-dongs like Milo Yiannopoulos because they're the ones that actually have the, 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 you know, the balls to say it in a way, but right. I, you know, whether or not that's actually a true crisis, I don't know. I don't think that's the right yeah, word. I, mean, I think the that's lowest... the main thing is just mm-hmm. kind of the degree of heat that we're, yeah, you know, yeah. and fire we're seeing. But I'm nervous every time that, I press, you know, I, like I was, when I first started on Twitter, it was probably what, six, seven years ago. I was, I was not as nervous as I am now when I press, right. uh, send on that tweet. I read it 95 times. Now who can take this out of context and I can like not pay for my daughter's school. I, I, there's, there's, <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm be begging for fucking <laughs> Litecoin. That's why I on keep shoving drinks at you. I here. know. I can't. I drink, and I'm like, I've said to you one time recently. I was like. Maybe we should cut that thing that I said. I don't know if it's, I don't know, like, <laughs> right, it's, it's fine, space. It's like but international people might and we, take and we it did. out of context. And we did. Yeah. <laughs> so he aired on the side of caution. I told Can you I say two quick things that are, that are huge 
I please, please. I, I, but I'll say it again now because I took it out before. I'm not sure the Holocaust happened. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in there. Now. That's a fucking joke, people, and, by the way. And, and after we're done, we'll talk about the yeah. JQ. Yeah, I wrote please. for Tablet Magazine. I, trust me, I, it's a joke. Sorry, Jody. Um, no, that's, that's um, You know, I do think that part of the project of society is to get us to a point where, like, we realize that we shouldn't say some things. You know, I understand what you're saying about like, well, I don't feel comfortable. I can't say everything. But, you know, somewhere in that is a range of things that are now not acceptable to say, probably for good reason, you know? And I mean, there's a, mm, yeah, I know, I know, I know this saying. is, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, I don't I, I don't like that conflation of, you know, PC is just actually good manners. No, it's actually not. I but, mean, but that, I don't know like, if Jody the, the, was going. No, you're saying like there are certain things that we can't say. And that's a good thing. Most of the people that are saying to me, I don't feel like I can have a sort of, you know, slightly divergent point sure. of view on me, too. It's not like we like they want to use the word Negro, right. but the, it's not <laughs> it's not that. But that is but that I think, yeah, I, I you know, again, I think we largely agree that, you know, our values value shift but yeah. you're talking about people who want to have an honest brokered conversation and yeah. feel cowed by that yeah. but what's happening on campuses is you know and this is the really disturbing thing is that the the people who are pushing this free speech issue and provoking it their project is not i want to have an honest exchange ideas absolutely right you know, provocation has become the actual currency it's not yeah. ideas it's actually about going on campus and getting shut down getting no, shut down is the goal you're well, totally right that is, and what i said at the beginning for the Jordan Barry Peterson, Weiss, sorry to yeah. mention bearing it but sure. for the columnist of the new york times to take that bait is really problematic well, i i wonder i wonder about something but else i just though. quickly to say i mean and and, and i i'm legally buried i don't know that she's taking that bait but but on I agree with you, because when I said at the beginning of this, like the Jordan Petersons of the world and, you know, the Brett Weinsteins, I'm like, guys, do not hang out with these dudes. They're not your allies. They're not your friends. And like, you're yeah. not saying don't hang out with them. You're saying they no, end no. up like when, when they end up like next to a guy with the like a fucking Kekistan flag or peppy <laughs> shit. It's like, no, these are not your friends. And what they look, they might be the ones that are testing these bounds of free speech mm -hmm. and of course free speech exists for not you know my opinion your opinion your opinion it's for these noxious opinions yes i agree but it doesn't mean that you have to you know sidle up and do a panel yeah. with these people i still won't do any i won't be on a show or a podcast with those people unless mm -hmm. i get the chance to interrogate and crucify them well I, I i appreciate that perspective i'll say i'll say in their defense and i don't know that this is this isn't my position necessarily because yeah. i haven't i haven't given it enough thought um, yeah. I'm not even sure what I'm getting ready to say in a way, but <laughs> not, not that drunk, but there, there comes Such a point, a there comes a point when holding the perspective, the sort of perspective that Jordan Peterson does, for example, that he shouldn't be compelled to use someone else's preferred pronouns because yeah, sure. insisting that he talk in a particular way is in fact an abridgment of free speech and he won't, he won't stand for it. That there are people who say that is transphobic. If there are enough of those people, there might be only one place that's safe enough for you to articulate your position in public. I'm just saying that's that's I think no, one way I of doing it. I understand. It. That let me part take of it a step. I don't. I don't think it's actually true. I hear you, and yeah. I'll take it a step yeah. further. One thing that I heard him say recently that I actually thought was um, useful, and this is something I do agree with, is he was actually talking about the fact, um, and I think it was in that Vice interview that he has these followers who are often from the alt-right who yeah. are white nationalists or something. Um, and 
it it seems to me that he has he has accepted a responsibility to try and it, the, the exact words he used was tell a better story to those people to try and compel them to understand that they don't have to buy into identitarian narratives in response to identity politics on the left. They don't have to invent their own identity politics. And quite frankly, I do think that is a worthwhile project. And in many cases, I find myself trying to reach out to those people. I don't I don't necessarily go and show up at their events. But I mean, these have been strange days and I definitely have people with whom I am friendly who are consider themselves part of the alt-right. Um, and really? sure. Did you absolutely. hear the, this American life on the proud boys? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Well, report. Gavin, yeah. Gavin McGinnis right. is somebody I mean, who I we thought all know. that was just the best sort of, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. exploration of these blurry lines and how this sort of, uh, you know, how yeah. these, these communities metastasize. Mm -hmm. No. And it's a personal instinct too. I mean, I respect those people. There's always like a documentary or a book about some, you know, African-American guy who was like, you know, got close to some clan guy and like, and like brought him <laughs> that over. That was a Chappelle show. Yeah. yeah. No, there, no, it's actually, there's a, um, a good doc about this guy who was like, yeah, you know, like hanging out with clan, yeah, yeah, clan yeah, yeah, guys. Yeah. And he's like, look, and, and, you know, one or two he brings over and I have an enormous amount of respect for that. My personal instinct and he's criticized by both is sides. to destroy them. I don't, my, my, instinct is not Jordan Peterson's mm -hmm. instinct is like, hey, you've got the wrong. My instinct is to debate these people and to humiliate them, yeah. not to actually, you know, be the kind of, you know, um, you know, clinical psychiatrist or clinical psychologist, whatever he is, is somebody who's to be their therapist and say, you are coming to these beliefs because of X, Y, and Z problem. I, I don't, I'm not interested in that because I don't like, I could do that with anybody from the far left, the yeah. far right, the center, um, somebody I disagree with on any issue. I have no interest in why they come to those things. I just want to beat them on the actual substance. Well, but I, you know, look, I respect the people that do that and say, yeah, I get these fans and I'm kind of interested in why I have so many of these, yeah. these fans. And I want to tell them that, you know, this kind of collectivism, whether it's um, you know, in an economic sense or a, a racial sense or a cultural sense is actually destructive. Good. Good that you want to do that. I just yeah. don't have the patience. Some, somebody ought to. Well, I, I want to try to reel us in here because Jody is already about 30 minutes past oh, what sorry, he Jody. said he no, would, no, no, he no, would no, stay and do with us. This is what happens um, when you have good guests. But I'm, actually <laughs> fucking but I'm, you. I'm interested in it's your good. perspective on something because you have um, sort of some unique uh, credibility here. Your daughter um, oh, is a viral a internet. <laughs> yeah. well, oh, but, I thought you were going to say your daughter say, is a member of the, of the yeah, nation of Pakistan. She's what, nine months old? Yeah. So she's totally racist, obviously. Pizza girl. Yes, Pizza Girl. Amazing. Uh, totally right. famous Mike, viral sensation. Yeah, so this is yeah. important. It's great. Um, but but I wanted to <laughs> I, have ask, cute, I have a cute daughter too, but just yeah. yours is better. <laughs> at the end of at the end of our last podcast, and I guess we're gonna end this one in a similar fashion, uh -huh. uh, Moynihan was mentioning his his give me crypto. desire to yeah. get well, give me give me crypto, but also his desire Wallet to get away from the awfulness of Twitter. And yeah. I wanted to get your perspective on how you are feeling about the social media landscape these days. And I, I suppose I have a bit of a confession. I was interacting with Jillian York on Twitter some some weeks back, like February 15th, actually, I'm looking at it now. And she had a tweet and it was something along the lines of when Barry Wise, Brett Stevens and Tom Friedman and David Brooks still have jobs, you can see how civility and respectability often as cover for real harm always win. 
She followed that up by saying, I'd like to see you all continue your angry tweets at the New York Times until they are all gone. But I suspect it would be another millennia. Respectability always wins. And I, Mm -hmm. being very helpful, decided (laughs) decided that I would try to consolidate this and simplify it. And I said, the practical implications of these two tweets are... Even when expressed in an ordinary, well-intentioned fashion, opinions I find disagreeable are injurious. If you are a columnist expressing views I find disagreeable, you should be prohibited from working. Fair question mark. Now, look, is there some... I'm, I'm, I, I want you to it. tell me if I'm <laughs> tell me if I'm bad. I, there might be a little bit of sarcasm in there. There mm-hmm. is for sure, and I know that there is a chance that she doesn't mean it in that way. But it is the case that there are some people who think that speech is harmful, and it's worth I think underscoring the implications of the things that we say, especially for people like Jillian, who I know actually happens to be someone who believes in free speech and advocates for it in various contexts. She responded, we had a back and forth. She was frustrated with me and said that that's not that I, I mistook her meeting, but plenty of people actually thought that's precisely what she was getting. Yeah, at. Yeah, a, 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 a quick comment on this. I mean, I think, and, and Jody can speak to his, his opinions on this, but I think what he said about Barry, I think is a, is, is a fair criticism and we can jaw back and forth about, you know, is she giving too much weight to something that shouldn't be given that much attention? Right. And right. should, that's totally fine. This is a different category. And I like, I find this stuff like really troubling. I don't think it's a free speech issue so much. I think it's more that I found this when I was at Newsweek and we had a cover story uh, that was a Niall Ferguson cover story hmm. about Obama. It was criticizing Obama in the in Obama's uh, second campaign. And um, Ferguson fucked a few things up, okay? So he had a few big errors in it. And there are other errors that people cata- cataloged and I didn't think, I thought they were mostly sort of an opinion how you could how you could actually look at what he was saying. But there are a few things that, you know, we had to correct on it. And people lost their minds. Mm. And the reason they lost their minds, and it was the last, I mean, can't imagine how people thought about Newsweek then as they think about it now as like the target of investigations and, you know, owned by a Korean cult uh, is when Tina Brown was editing it. And it was kind of like, if this cover story was on the cover of National Review, People would have read it and they would have said, Niall Ferguson's an asshole. The difference in the reaction was that this is, you know, common territory. It's a tragedy of the commons, by the way. This is, you know, everybody, this is, this is our, you know, real mm-hmm. estate, right? Mm-hmm. When this was in Newsweek, it was like it had this stamp of approval of the establishment. We shouldn't have this in Newsweek. And it was wrong that Niall Ferguson was given this real estate. And they attacked it with, I mean, people don't remember this. If you go back and look at it, they attacked it in the most insane way. If Barry was writing this stuff for Tablet, as she had in the past, if she was writing it for a National Review, nobody would care. There is a sense that how dare you allow our valuable real estate at the New York Times to go to these people. And I said a free speech speech issue. Like, I mean, that she says that they shouldn't be writing at all, but they should be fired from our newspaper is the sense that I get when I read things like that. Well, and and just to Jillian's tweet, I mean, there's two things here, right? She's saying, one, these are bad ideas, mm-hmm. in her opinion, mm-hmm. and they should not it's be fine. in the paper. And that's fine. Yeah. And I think we often can, don't realize that a lot of our conversation is that. How we yeah. get to that is yeah. problematic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we should be able to call out clearly bad ideas and say that they don't have 
you know, currency. It's hard, by the way, for them to but argue the with second, conservatives when the conservatives say it's a liberal newspaper and they say, well, right. you shouldn't have these ideas in our paper. Right. But the second part, you know, this is a we, we, we need to tweet at them until they get them out of our paper. You know, that's the that's the part where it gets really tricky. And I mean, I think that to get back to your larger question about social media, I mean, I think that a lot of the conversations that we've seen happen and blow up over the last couple weeks or months or whatever, mm -hmm. um, have a number of them have landed at perhaps a like reasonable conclusion. But the process of getting there has been really hmm dispiriting and often you know it just comes down to something i think a lot about with social media and just like our media landscape in general is just that it happens so fast mm -hmm. and speed is not helpful and you know i don't want to get too high you mentioned some you mentioned angles earlier so i get to mention like you know adorno or walter benjamin but like yeah. a lot of the modernists were like really obsessed <laughs> with going speed. frankfurt school on us this is encouraged here you get five in crypto but, you know, I, I barely know these guys i read them in college and, and have, but i've been going back to some of these ideas of just this obsession with speed yeah. and that we're on this we're in this world that is moving too fast for us to control. And social media, I mean, like, I this is exactly no great insight. Right. Yeah. But the, just, it's, so it's the way that we arrive at this. Yeah. I will say, though, to argue maybe against myself or beyond myself or something, that <laughs> the Barry Weisses of the world, she's now become a, a, a type, not an actual person, right? <laughs> yes. The Barry Weisses of the world talism. often will push back when they get ganged up on by responding to the gang rather than the idea that the gang has landed on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a cop out I, and saying, oh, there's this Twitter yeah. mob and they went nuts on, at me when, in fact, there was actually an idea in that Twitter mob that you should engage with. That was maybe your column was dumb in this way or your ideas are bad in this way. And, and, and I, I think it's a bit of a cop out to always point to the Twitter mob. Yeah. Well, I think the mob itself uh, tends, I mean, the people that, that like in, in, in this case of this, uh, was it Jillian York? is that, you know, you're also responding, it's hard to respond rationally and, and, and about the nuance of the idea when somebody is, who's leading this charge is calling for you to be fired yeah. from your job. And the that's stakes, kind of the like, stakes I are mean, pretty high. It's, the stakes are pretty high then. And it's like, Jesus, this is crazy. Uh, and you know, also Barry has, and there's serious people, by the way, blue check marks, they're not always serious, they're not always the same thing. <laughs> They're, people they're that I, actually, people. you know what? I, I will say, people that I respect and people, many people that I'm friends with, who really rounded on her for 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 that for that uh, um, the Hamilton, Hamilton tweet, which was and very it's strange. Like, look, yeah. I mean, come the fuck on. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about Barry focusing too much on things that that maybe are, are getting undue weight? I mean, these are people that are in a a, a, a froth. And people that are serious people that have serious jobs at serious publications, like like not yeah. giving her a pass on this. And she's like, look, I, I mean, I know her and I know what she meant. And it's funny because she essentially like walked away from the Wall Street Journal because she liked the Wall Street Journal as a place that was right, slightly right of center, but that was very, very pro-immigration. And she's very, very pro-immigration mm -hmm. in the same uh, way that, you know, the, the page has been in the past. Mm -hmm. And she didn't like the sort of pro-Trump stuff. And this is a woman who's walked away from her job, which she really liked at the Journal, because of this issue in some ways of immigration and, and the pro-Trump uh, business that was kind of infecting the editorial page and the whole editorial division of the paper. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, no, no, no. You know, you're not one of the good ones. And she gets attacked in this way. It's so hard. And I, I would... 
I, there's no way I could respond rationally yeah. to that stuff. I would put my my head in the sand. And Have you ever been on the receiving end of a like? Uh, have either of you been on the end of a Twitter mob? Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a mob, and it's certainly nothing that approaches the level no, of not, what Barry's gotten in trouble yeah. for. The yeah. truth is, uh, and I've talked about my melanin force field here before. Yeah. Like yeah. I can't get in trouble for the same shit that other people do. Yeah. Um. I I get to say them. Um, which I think I sent Camille all my most controversial <laughs> speech, and true. I'm like, uh, give me, give me the Just black, that give me the there. black protection on this. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it out there. Um, I, Wait, can I add one last thought on social media? I, yeah. I want you to. I was about actually my daughter. Yeah, since you asked yeah, about yeah, that, yeah, I'm going to try and tie it into this larger thing. Yeah, you got, other you got daily say, mailed. <laughs> other than to say, I got daily mailed. I, you know, so in case. People need context. A some, photo some I took of my daughter, which, for the record, was the only photo we have ever posted of her on social media. Is we've that been, right? Like, we've been pretty much like, we're not posting on social media. I don't like say her name on the podcast. I don't really talk about her on the podcast. The only photo. She's really cute. Well, this was a very good photo yeah. of her reacting to eating. It was her first slice of pizza ever. She's sort of in bliss. Yeah. And I took it with like the new so iPhone that has the perfect like portrait you know, mode. Portrait yeah. Mode. yeah. Uh, and we were looking at it and my wife and I were like, this one feels good. Can we post yeah. this one? OK. And it went, you know, hyper viral. Um, and it ended up on like. Give us a sense of the scale of hyper yeah. So, so I mean, the numbers are like, I think it's at like 70,000 retweets, 250,000 likes. 70,000 retweets, 250,000 likes. Um, people were responding with memes, but she has now become a meme. So I've seen people using her photo as just like a reaction meme, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. Um, and I've, and, but like it ended up in the Daily Mail. You know, yeah. the, the, it, the, the, I got a glimpse of the sort of meme sauce. You, so got, went, you got some money from the Daily Mail for no. that, right? <laughs> it went Twitter crazy. Then it went. It was like, like the ABC News. It's everywhere. Oh, it's crazy. It was on like Fuck Jerry, that Instagram <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah, has sure. like three million, yeah. hundred million followers. Yeah. But it was yeah. on ABC, Good Morning America, The Tonight Show, so forth. But I will say that it was actually quite a pleasant experience. Yeah. Um, so a couple things surprised me. One, I mean, one to watch it just go was amazing. But two, every single outlet except for one which i'm going to name right now the fallon show reached out in advance <laughs> and, and asked for permission and then gave credit afterwards even the daily mail and i was frankly wow, really that is shocking. so surprised that we they used to have to out. chase them all the time when yeah. they stole my stuff yeah. all the time and, wow. and i think that maybe it's a sign that we've sort of had that moment um, yeah. And like even this is a subtle thing, but like that Instagram site, fuck Jerry, got in trouble a while ago for like stealing tweets by yeah. screenshotting them, and putting them up. Sure. They did the same, but they kept my handle in, which I think is like progress. Yeah, it is. it's, but, it's sure. both fuck Jerry and, and the fat Jew. Yeah, who got in trouble uh, for this? Who? Um, you so know, everyone did that. And I was kind of, you know, maybe that's because it's a photo. That's of his. Kid. By the way, can I? If you, you don't know. know him, that's his Instagram name. Yes, the fat Jew. I'm, yeah, I'm not no, saying no, someone. No. Oh, that's the fat Jew. His name is. That was a necessary qualification. It's Josh Ostrovsky. He calls himself the fat Jew. Okay, but you know, everyone reached out. Advance asked for permission. I basically said, and a lot of them asked for like, "What's your name? Do you have more photos?" And I said, "No, we're going to like lay low, such as it is. You can use this, but we're yeah. not saying anything else." They were um, <laughs> no one, no one like offered to piss. I mean, I think there was probably a window where we could have monetized, yeah. but we were just like, "Whatever." It seems we'll a bit weird, thing. doesn't but it? But I was kind of impressed. And again, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that it's a kid. Yeah, um, that people were sort of nice on the internet, but it was generally pretty nice, and it yeah. was great to see. It's been great to like see her pop up in my feed with just like other people posting it yeah. probably having no and I've met a few people who were who who have been like oh this weird thing happened I mean I'm not actively bringing it up with some other someone else be like this thing yeah. happened to Jody last week the, the kid went viral 
and they'll be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't hear that. That's crazy. And then I'll like pull the picture up. They're like, oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah. You know, I mean, people No, it's it. a good, and, and I, and I know you have to go and I'll finish no, on no. this. And, and I think it's, it's pretty interesting because I, we, we tend to relate to this stuff only in negative Twitter mobs. It's yes. really interesting and fun to hear a story of a positive Twitter mob because the picture, picture is great. Your daughter is super cute. And <laughs> I, I, think I, so loved, too. I loved it. And I was like, that is so great. I have a daughter too. So yes. like I, you know, no, and people were responding with yeah, yeah. their kids. Yeah, it was a no, nice it's moment. terrific. And again, I, yeah, probably has a lot to do with the fact that it's a kid yeah uh and that also we didn't try like if i had tried to somehow monetize people would have sniffed yeah, we like, that that's, that's of, not my gross. instinct anyway yeah. but i mean people would yeah. maybe <laughs> sniff that out but i mean i have one you, you would have gotten ken boned yeah the bone sweater um <laughs> but like it, like i have one experience in which you know you can read about and which has it has has a twitter mark involved and it's not me as such, and I, you know, the first couple chapters of John Ronson's book, mm-hmm. uh, Save and Public Ashamed, involved me um, in a way, and and it was it was basically, I have you know, and it's funny when you talked about Barry and the response to it, I my, I sympathize with Barry not because she's somebody whom. I know and count as a friend. And I've known she's been my editor at the Wall Street Journal when I write for them. She was my editor at Tablet. And I just like her as a person too. I think she's really interesting and has weird, fun, strange ideas. And I never know what she thinks about a certain issue. Um, it's not, it's actually not just that. It's because I am so sympathetic to the fact that there's a point when the mob gains this inertia mm-hmm. and forward motion. Yeah, that's true. That you it has nothing to do with what you believe. It has nothing to do with your politics. This it has true. to do with who you are as a person and your personal instincts is that, you know, some people might monetize your daughter's photo. You wouldn't because that's who you are. And what happened to me and why it's in John Ronson's book it was involved this story that I wrote about Jonah Lehrer and um, that that uh, really took off. And I've told this story, I think, uh, maybe on this podcast or maybe on another, um, was that when the last one of the last conversations I had with Jonah on the phone, he said to me, um, and I felt really, I felt really like I betrayed him in a weird way, is that he said to me, "Are you?" He asked me a question. He said, "Are you going to talk to the media about this?" And I, I, this is being totally honest, and I think I might, it might even in John's book, I don't remember, but I said to him, "No, I'm writing a story, and that's pretty much what I have to say, you know." And I don't, I don't think I have to say much more. And he said, "Okay." And then after that, the whole thing. Yeah, kind of Exploding. caught fire in a yeah. way that I still don't quite understand. And I did two weeks of media. And I felt like I kind of was an asshole to him for saying, and I said, well, you know, I really want to talk about this because of what happened after. And it's why it interested John Ronson was because when you asked the question, have you been in, have you been the victim of it? I said, no, well, no, I haven't. But I have been the been instigator. The cat- you've been, yeah. the I've been the catalyst. And the first interview I gave to anyone um, who was it? Maybe Hunter Walker. At the, was it Hunter Walker? Mm-hmm. Was he, he was he at the New York Observer at the time? Or maybe he wasn't. He was the guy. Somebody else. Maybe another Hunter. It was another Hunter. It was yeah. either Hunter Walker or the other Hunter um, who called me right after the story went up, and the whole thing became a brush fire. And he called me, and I was kind of like, "Fuck!" I was like, I was really kind of freaked out by it, and I didn't know he was recording the call. And he just he transcribed it and posted the whole thing in the New York Observer. And I think it might be the first or second thing that comes up if you ever search for my name. Um, it's still up there, and I think it's maybe what piqued John's interest in the whole thing. But it was I was kind of panicking, and I wasn't realizing at the time that I was really giving an interview. And it's a straight kind of verbatim transcript of our phone call. And I was like, fuck, I don't know, man. I, I thought about this last night. His agent called me, Andrew Wiley, said, don't publish. 
he called me 26 times or something. I yeah. have a screenshot, don't publish. And I was like, I said to my wife at the time, I was just like, you know, I don't know what to do. I said, well, she, you know, with cats out of the bag, there's nothing you can do about it. The editors know about it. It's coming out. And I said, okay. And then what happened after, I really started feeling like shit about it. I really started seeing this guy who deserved it in some way, but you know, you get to that point of like, what does one deserve? I mean, he deserves to be kind of fired from his job. He was faking it and his book contract pulled or whatever. But the the real viciousness that people attacked him with, I did start to feel like shit about it, like almost instantly. And I'm like, good God, had I, and you kind of think this thing, had I not done this or had I not had this kind of weird brain that was like, no, I know that's not true because I've written a lot about plagiarism. Would it have happened this way? And I've seen it happen to other people since, people that I know. And it's just not a great feeling because I just looking at that mob and realizing that you had anything to do with it is a shitty feeling because I like I don't I, I trust people's responses to this are disembodied from their politics and their instincts because it's a really garbage feeling. And like I've had 10 people attack me at one time and I have to close my laptop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really sensitive to these things. I really can't stand it. And at one point, my, my 10, five, six, seven, eight years ago, my wife saw that it was affecting me really bad. And she said, you're not allowed to read comments on the stuff. It used to be a time when we read comments yeah. on the blog never post. read the comments. She said, the, don't the... read the comments. I stopped. I never went back. And if there's something that catches fire, like a tweet, I tweeted something the other day, the 20,000 retweets or likes or whatever. And I didn't read any responses. Yeah. And if they're verified, then it pops up on my phone. And then it's like, okay, that's kind of a better filter because people who are verified, I tend... <laughs> sometimes have more of an instinct to not like be horrible and yeah. just say you're you know i hope that you're something gets something mm -hmm. um but yeah it's a shitty feeling and so i when this is happening to barry I, I i didn't text her but I, I should actually text her i didn't text her but i felt like texting her and be like oh my god i'm so sorry but then i realized that like some people have like sinews of steel and they can actually deal with this i can't yeah i don't like it I, I wanted to talk about it because I think the point we, might be I'm just all, a coward. No, I don't think you're a coward. The truth, the, the truth is, even even for me, there are certain insults that I get a lot. Um, oftentimes, it's it's like race traitor related stuff. Sometimes it's you hate Uncle people Tom. because you're a you're a uh, you're a heartless libertarian or something. I What's occasionally that gets to you. Oh, coon, coon, yeah. coon is the new I didn't favorite. I know that shit was yeah. real. Coon is the new favorite. White people or black people? Are calling black people. That? Um, huh. I've had I've had a few white people feel um like comfortable enough to. Do that, but only a few. Um, but <laughs> who the fuck are those people? I, I, I mean, look. Once you're treading bravely enough uh, against the, the the established racial orthodoxy, like you are fair game, and getting called a, an Uncle Tom or an Oreo or having someone say, "Why are you so ashamed of your race?" or something is, uh, it just happens. Um, at some point, it does start to become injurious. It does like you're human. It, it's difficult yeah. not to be offended. Does it bother? The worst you, thing that has ever happened though people, is when someone has like besmirched my dog. No, that doesn't bother me. I really I, no no. I wish what what frustrates me most. What frustrates me most is feeling like I, I'm not able to to actually have a conversation and engage and persuade you. Like if I'm making an articulate argument or at least think I am and it's not getting through to you at all, mm -hmm. like that will actually become like really, I, I'll get a little despondent because I'll feel hopeless. Like we'll never, we'll never get beyond this stuff. But uh, 
it's fun to be on Twitter sometimes because occasionally Jody will post pictures of his daughter, yes. which is perhaps oh, once okay. every eight months. Yeah, once um, so far. And, yes. uh, and, that, and that photo is now all of ours. It, it is. It belongs, <laughs> to, it belongs to all of us. It's America's photo. Yeah. It belongs to all of us. Well, she's adorable. And I don't know, Jody, if you've got any po- parting thoughts, I want to give you the last word and then I want to get the hell out of here because we are way over time yeah, and you've been really enormously no, This has generous. been really fun. I don't have any parting words. I think you should you should run the best podcast theme music in podcasting and then we should get out of here. Uh, but by the, can we, <laughs> I, I just realized something. Yeah. I just fucking realized this. What? He started with that and he ended with that. That's and good. I'll tell you what. Bookends. It's great. Love it. People love, love people Jody. Love a callback. Love Jody. You know what I also realized? He doesn't like the podcast. He likes the music. He never <laughs> said you got no, the that's best not, fucking button. Jody, the top 25. Jody, he didn't even give fair. us 25. Jody has actually said, I heard he didn't him even say, give us 25. Can I tell you what, can I tell you what he said? Yeah, he said that the fifth column was one of his new favorite podcasts. And he said that yeah, on the 538 podcast. You said that, but I didn't believe you. No. He was just right trying to lure me into the trap. It's fucking true. Well, I'll tell you what, you should listen to Jody's podcast. You should read you should read 538, which I do frequently. Uh-huh. You should um, um, also give me Bitcoin, <laughs> Ethereum, Litecoin, Shitcoin. You know, what you is it? You don't want that other Chavez, stuff. what is it? Venezuelans have a coin? You don't Petro want that. Coin? Deadman, de- oh, my oh my God. God. Bye. God, please, bye. We love everybody. Bye. We know of new methods of attack. Trojan Horse, the fifth column.